As it is the last in the series, would you uh, allow me to read the quote that Mark uh, put together for this series that he's given every single one of us who was preaching? It's really good. I love it. I'll try and do it in my best uh, movie trailer voice, okay? Before Marvel made movies about superheroes, sorry for the accent, it's terrible. Um, Before Marvel made movies about superheroes saving the planet, before sci-fi writers told us about visitors from distant galaxies, there was the original out-of-this-world story. Jesus taking a journey through time and space to arrive on planet Earth to save the human race from eternal misery. Wasn't that cool? What a mark. He's, he's enjoying his day here, to, uh, day off today, but uh, I just wanted to read that because that was good. You know, super, superhero movies are amazing. Uh, just out of interest, did anyone watch a superhero movie over the holiday, over the week? Okay, I expected more. I mean, our family is massive fans of Captain Marvel at the moment. We've watched that. It's, it's a huge uh, treat. You know, they are fully immersive. They're fully believable, surely. Um, and then the movie ends. And while the awe may remain, before you know it, you're kind of back in the real world. Now, I'm a big fan of uh, John Wick movies. Are there about three people in the room that like John Wick movies? Or you're too Christian to admit it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Do you know, I love watching John Wick movies. And uh, and when I get to go to bed, I I often find myself dreaming I am John Wick. John Wick, you know, if you James Bond, all those kind of things. I imagine that I am him. I, I stand for justice. I communicate with very few words. I don't take any nonsense. And if I need to, I can use force, which is most of the time. Um, But then I'm woken up about 2.30 in the morning with a child who's had a bad dream about them losing their teddy bear. And then I have to sit there holding their hand for 30 minutes while they fall asleep. And I realize at this moment that that is my actual life. (laughs) And it is dramatically different from what I imagine it to be. Do you know what happens after Christmas too? We remember and recreate the scenes of those incredible moments, those uh, spectacular events. We see them all over the place. Angels and shepherds and wise men and the manger. It's just amazing to watch and it conjures up these incredible emotions. But the real world eventually calls us back to reality. Dinner needs cooking and at some point we need to prepare for work or school. And ultimately, the bins need to go out, but no one really knows what day they go out, so you just kind of look at your neighbors, and when they make the move, you copy and follow, and hope it's the next day. But isn't Christmas supposed to be more than just a story? Isn't it more than just a story of the birth of Christ? More than remembering what happened to the, when the Son of God became a human in a manger? Isn't it more than just a story? Isn't Christmas supposed to tell us that our lives will never be the same again? Christmas is supposed to mean something of universal universal importance that has happened. But what is that thing? You know, when Mark started this series at the beginning of December, he read uh, from John's Gospel where John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through, all, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I mean, that was a magnificent um, verse to read out, but it still doesn't fully help us understand what Christmas means to us today. 
You know, but John, incredible John, you see him come up a lot in the New Testament. He, uh, he didn't leave us empty-handed. He also wrote three other letters um, called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as Revelation. Um, the first of these letters, 1 John, 1st John, is the, the, what he starts in a very similar way to what he does as in his gospel. In this letter, we have this incredible, unique insight from someone who told the story, but also then went on to live the story. And he says this in 1 John, verse, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. It's a lot of ones. Um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. You see, this is no longer a story about Jesus breaking in. John testifies with his eyes, his ears, and his hands that he himself has seen, heard, and touched the eternal one. And once you've encountered him, once you've encountered the eternal one, life can never and will never be the same again. You see, this is more, Christmas is more than a narrative. It's about John talking about a whole new world. And as we read on, John tells us three things that Christmas and this season brings to us today. The first one is eternal life. I love this one. Do you notice, first of all, just a bit of Bible study, how, Jesus, how John refers to Jesus in this? In, the, um, in chapter one of John's gospel, he's called the Word. But in this, he said, well, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And in his first letter, he goes a little bit further and he calls Jesus the word of life. And then in verse two, he continues and he says this, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to you, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus is called the word of life. He's called the life. He's called the eternal life. John is emphasizing something too important for us to miss. He's not telling us that Jesus knows the way to life. He's not telling us that Jesus gives us life. He's trying to make it clear that Jesus himself is life. The message version, I love this, it captures it incredibly well. It says, the infinite life of God took shape before us. I mean, that is magnificent to read. The infinite life of God took shape before us. See, this is very different from Jesus pointing to life or talking about how to get life or what you need to do to inherit life. When you receive Jesus, you receive eternal life. John emphasized this in his gospel when he noted Jesus as saying this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes in John 10, I have come that they may have life and to the full. What John is saying and what Christianity says is that Jesus is not merely another religious figure or icon that points the way to God and how we can save ourselves. Jesus Christ, according to Christmas, is God himself come to save us, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And talking about things that we cannot do for ourselves, how many people have uh, already chosen their New Year's resolution? Ah, I wish you well. See, I tried something last month. I don't know if you remember. I, was, I, remember, I remember you guys remembering because I remember doing this amazing talk and the only thing anyone gave me feedback was, was about my sugar fast that was starting at the end of November, which was hilarious. At the end of November, 
22nd of November, I uh, decided I was going to give up sugar. It was a good healthy cho choice. It was going to be right sugar, excess sugar, mostly chocolate, sweets, and cake. Big vice for me. Just till the 22nd of December. And then I was going to max out for Christmas. So I did. I maxed out on the 21st of November with friends and had a ridiculous amount of food. I won't even tell you what it was because it's slightly embarrassing. And then I launched in. And for the first four days, I had intense headaches. For the next four days, I genuinely felt lightheaded. I had to look it up to make sure I wasn't like having a crash or something. And it was, it's a genuine thing. And then it was clear that once I got past all that, I was just an irritable, grumpy man to live with. And I was ruining Christmas for everyone around me. And so uh, two weeks of solid fasting and uh, managing to convince like 15 other people to do it with me. Most of them gave up after the first night, to be honest. Um, I, uh, I just thought, you know what, it's two weeks. I can celebrate with a little snack, right? Just a little one. And so I had some friends over again. This is, see the pattern here. Um, had some friends over again, and I had a little bit, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and I haven't stopped since. <laughs> it is hard to give up. I've got to be honest, I'm standing here in front of you now saying, I'm an addict. <laughs> and I'm admitting that to you. And I'm okay with it at the moment. But thank you for your support. It's a hard time. Uh, just so you know as well, once I get through all the Christmas chocolate, it's my birthday, so I'll have birthday chocolate. <laughs> and then it's Valentine's, and then it's Easter. I've got this laid out. This is perfect. Anyway, with our best intentions and efforts, most of us will fail. Once again, I'm fully in support of you guys who've got a New Year's resolution. It doesn't mean we don't try. It doesn't mean we don't get support. It doesn't mean that we commit ourselves to things that are genuinely good for us and make a difference. There are things that are possible, but on the whole, uh, especially gym memberships, it's the reality of most of our intentions, as good as they are, will fail. Now imagine this is just one part of our life. For me, it's just chocolate. So imagine as you try to, as 1 Timothy says, keep a pure heart, a clear conscience, and an unwavering faith. That's the mark of love that 1 Timothy calls, it, calls us to. I don't know about you, but that just is going to fall apart very, very quickly. There's no way I can meet those standards on a daily, daily, daily basis. But the story and the meaning of Christmas tells us that our life, our eternity doesn't hang in the balance of my own efforts. And that I can hold fast to this incredible verse in 2 Timothy 2, which says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. And if we are faithless, Will he disown us? Will he give up faith in us? No. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. You see, we can choose Christ. We can disown Christ. That's an option. But we can never lose Christ. We can never lose that eternal life in Jesus. This is so huge. So huge that I want to approach this in a slightly different way. There is always talk about Christmas being taken over. It's kind of these pagan traditions and Coca-Cola traditions. And, uh, you know, and most of it has taken over our lives. And frankly, in most cases, I'm actually okay with that. I think is, as absurd as they are, that genuinely makes a, a bigger emotion and a bigger feeling and a bigger celebration, as long as they're used to point back to Jesus. Uh, it can be an amazing time and a season. But there is one fable 
one thing around Christmas time that I really have no room and no grace for, and that is the idea of Santa's naughty and nice list. I absolutely hate this, and I would tell my kids and I tell everyone that this is something I disgust. You know, religion and parents, to be honest, would have you believe that you can work hard to stay on that nice list. But the truth is, the moment that we have done something wrong, the moment we have messed up, is the moment we uh, find ourselves off the nice, perfect list and onto the naughty list. And there is no way off. So there would be no Christmas presents for us. There would be no celebration. There would be no life if it was about us being on a naughty or nice list. You see, Jesus was the only one who lived a perfect life. He was the only one who died and the only one still remaining on that nice list. But in this unexpected act of love, he decided he would swap places with us. That he would take our place on the naughty list and he would put him, uh, sorry, and he would go onto that list and put us on the nice list. That was Jesus' unexpected act of love. But in doing so, he then representing that naughty list as it were, he went and it was nailed to the cross once and for all. There is no naughty list anymore, it has been destroyed. That is incredible. Thank you, Fred. You know, instead of lists, the Bible talks about the names in the book of life. When we receive Jesus, we receive eternal, infinite life. And our names are added to the book of life. You know, Bella, my seven-year-old, she blew my mind one day when she just came up with this random phrase. She said, you know, we're all in the book of life. We're all pages in the book of life. I love that imagery. We're not a list. We're not a name. We're pages. So the girls, um, Jesus came as the book binding and covers. And when we join him, we become part of him and his book of life. God became one of us so that we might become one with him. I love that. You know, whereas a name can be crossed out, a page forms part of a sealed book and no one can remove it. We've got this uh, book at home. It's a really good book, actually. It's called um, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. <laughs> it genuinely is a good book, uh, despite the title. It's, um, and it's a children's book packed with hundreds of stories of a life of 100 extraordinary women from the past and the present. People like Amelia Earhart, Florence Nightingale, J.K. Rowling. It's an incredible book and so many more. I think there's two of them now. And there's a page in the back of this book where you get to write your own name and your own story. I love this because eternal, infinite life has come and shown you a new world that you're part of. The question is, when you accept Jesus, when you accept life, when you are a page that's then entered into the book of life, the question is, what are you going to be called in that book of life? What's the title and what's the story that's going to be underneath? And this is the choice that you get to make. You know, it says in Isaiah 41, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you, descendants of Abraham, my friend. You see, every single one of us, every single one of those in the Bible had a name that was given to him. Israel was God's beloved servant. Jacob was chosen. Abraham was his friend. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. Lazarus was his friend. Peter was the rock that he built his church on. There's a story in Philemon about Onesimus, who was once called useless by those around him. God calls him useful. 
How about you? Tom, my redeemed. Sarah, the overcomer. Emma, the voice to the voiceless. Olu, simply my son. What is the name that God has given you? What is your title on your page in the book of life? So this is a great question to ask the author of life in 2020. That would be a great New Year's resolution, not to do more, to do less, but to know who he has made you to be. That would be stunning. The second thing that John goes on to talk about in verse three was we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. My, uh, my four-year-old went to a birthday party at the end of last year and she um, uh, bought the kid a, a Transformer present. It was really nice. And, um, and then the, uh, the good parents, we, we never get around to this, but the good parents always get the kid to write a thank you note, which they write, and then the kid signs. And so uh, we got this thank you note saying, Maya, thank you so much for the present. I love playing with the Transformer. Um, you know, really appreciate you coming to my birthday. Didn't it write appreciate, it's four. Um, really love you coming to my birthday. Uh, lots of love, Samuel, whatever his name was. And then I was reading this out to Maya, and she turned around and she goes, awkward. And I was like, what do you mean awkward? This is a lovely kid. He wrote love. <laughs> do you know, a lot of people respond in the same way at Christmas. Jesus, don't get me wrong, I love celebrating your birthday with you. I, hope you're, I really hope you're there when I, uh, I need in, in, to invite you, but let's not take this too seriously. I mean, let's not make this awkward. But John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son and Jesus Christ. You see, John is telling us that it's not enough just to believe in God. It's not enough to just acknowledge him when it's appropriate or even just obey him when it's right. Christmas means that God has gone to infinite lengths to come near us, to have a personal relationship with us so that you can know him personally, intimately, awkwardly, vulnerably. And that's what fellowship really is. It's a bit of a Christian word, but that's what it means, it's intimate. It's when your lives become so entwined with one another. It's more than just friends. It's even more than family. It's fellowship. It's, a, it's the entwining of our lives in all areas. You know, it is impossible to have an authentic, intimate relationship without first becoming vulnerable. You know, every so often someone will say, um, you know, I really want to be with that person or I really want to marry that person, but I just need to know that they're not going to hurt me in the way that people have hurt me before. And the answer you and I probably give them is going, well, you might as well give up. That's not going to happen. There is no way you can enter a friendship, a relationship, or certainly not a marriage without binding your heart so much to the person in such a way that the person if they chose to, could break it in such a way that you could get hurt. You can only be as close to someone as much as you are willing to be vulnerable with them. You know, God didn't just love us from a safe place up in heaven far away where everything was perfect. He came in love 
as a man to dwell amongst us. He made himself vulnerable to rejection, to pain, to suffering, to temptation, and even to death for us. He initiated our fellowship, our intimacy with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He came to dwell amongst us in the most vulnerable way possible. First, as a baby, as one of us. That's love. And when you receive God in the vulnerability, in all his vulnerability that he came, when he was stripped of all his honor and his glory, when he became radically vulnerable out of love for us, when this whole thing, this whole season, this Christmas goes beyond a concept and a season, it will make you vulnerable towards him, but also towards other people. And I'll tell you why. Because when you feel that loved, that treasured, that precious by God himself, the Lord of heaven and earth, you have gained more than you could ever possibly lose. You know, other people's opinions may genuinely count, but they will never define you because God's opinion of you is far greater in value. We can forgive others as crazy as that is because we realize that God has forgiven us for so much more. We can love our enemies, which is ridiculous because while we were still enemies, he died for us. And we can be generous because God does not run out of resources. I don't know about you, but I budgeted for our kids for Christmas. But you know, God doesn't need to set a budget. He has unlimited resources at his hand. God can do something for that person who is suffering that you know that you want him to turn all his attention to and still have enough to bless you too. He has unlimited resources. You know, in knowing this, it makes sense why John said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Having seen God's vulnerability, we are free to be vulnerable to others because we have already gained so much, more than we could ever lose. You know, as a family, we are incredibly grateful for God, what he's done in us and through us. I look at our kids, I look at just where we are and what we have around us, and I can't help but be thankful and be gratitude, you know, the kids have been attitude of gratitude um, all season, which is great. Um, our, our lecturing has finally taken bait. Um, but you know, we are so grateful to God that we feel that we can be generous with what we have. And so when Tara heard that her friend and her three kids were gonna be alone at Christmas because the husband was unfortunately traveling, she didn't hesitate in inviting them around. Now we didn't have a big house to be honest, um, but we, uh, we, we have so much else to give them. And so we invited them around to be part of what we did. And this is crazy, but, uh, but then our daughter thought it was a great idea when she heard that her friend uh, was gonna be just with her mother over Christmas because her husband had left. And she said, well, you can't be alone. You should come to us for Christmas. And so she invited her friend and her mother over for Christmas, which we found out about and then couldn't really say no. So, uh, but actually it was a joy to be able to do that. And so before we knew it, we had 17 people in our house this Christmas, <laughs> which if you've seen our house, I'm try- I really can't think of what size it is. I mean, it's, I, I don't know, it's tiny. 
It's about, it's, I don't know, it's about here to there. One cue, one line. <laughs> Basically, no one moved over Christmas. We, if you wanted some food or some drink, you had to holler to the other side of the room. Maybe phone call or something like that. Anyway, you know, and as Trevor was saying, at Christmas at Vineyard, I love these stats from Heather, 305 kids Children received a main present and a stocking filler from us before Christmas. 100 advent calendars were given out and 125 people were fed on Christmas Day, all with gifts for adults and children. (laughs) Now, I'm telling you our stories, but I'm sure you have your own. And the reason why you have your own is because God has been so generous to you that you've been able to be generous to other people. I love that. I love that we get to invite people into fellowship. And as they become into fellowship with us, we get to introduce them to the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because we have been given so much, we have much to give. Because God has invited us into fellowship with him, we can invite others into fellowship with us and with him. Just as he arrived in our lives, we are called to arrive in the lives uh, of others as Christ would. To put it simply, Jesus' mission has become our commission. Just as he said, surely I am with you, surely we are with others in this world. And then finally, complete joy. The eternal, the infinite word of life came to be with us, fellowship. He came as one of us so we could be one with him. He became vulnerable that, we could, uh, that he could be known and we could be vulnerable and we can be known too. And this is more than a narrative. John is talking about a new world. And it says in verse four, we write this to make our joy complete. How does this make our joy complete? You see, until Christmas, there was this ideal, and then there was the real, the now. See, the ideal was something like this, perfection, delight, health, happiness, eternity, immortality, all the things we dream of, and uh, you know, there would be no health issues, there'd be no sadness, there'd be no loneliness. But here is the real, suffering, death, that empty seat at the table this Christmas, limitation, brokenness, And between the two, the ideal and the real, there seemed this impossible and impassable chasm. But you know, a life of reality is always trumped by the truth of the gospel. And at Christmas, the incarnation, the ideal became real. The ideal came down from heaven to earth into our lives and into this world to show us a new world. Jesus lost his glory so that we could have glory forever. He lost and gave up his peace so we could have infinite peace. There was no room for him at the inn so that we could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A new world is coming and has already come in Jesus and is breaking out amongst us. Every time you see healing, every time you see loneliness, brokenness, every time you see someone who is met with someone and engaged in life, we see Jesus. And one day there will be a great feast and wedding of the bride and the groom. Could the band come back up? The church and her Christ will make the ideal in our new world, our new real. Like you, we watch lots of Christmas movies as well. 
And there was this one, some terrible cheesy one, I'm sure. I wasn't paying attention, I was asleep on the couch. But all I remember is the kids looking at this and seeing this wedding and them saying, I'm never gonna have a slow dance when I get married. <laughs> yeah, said the other one, let's do the conga. <laughs> it made me laugh because that's genuinely what it will be like. There won't be this slow, romantic, comforting dance. There will be, perhaps, a massive conga line to join, <laughs> perhaps. But along that time, you, you know what I'm saying. Which I think sums up exactly how we're meant to feel when the eternal, the infinite life has come to dwell amongst us. Would you guys stand? We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would choose to humble yourself, not take an equality with God, something to be granted, uh, taken for granted, but you would become like a servant. You would come as one of us, laying down your life that we may receive life. You have become vulnerable that we may become vulnerable and know you personally, intimately, and be known by others and invite people into this place. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Our lives will never be the same again. In fact, just at this moment, if there's someone in this room or people in this room that have not experienced that eternal life, have not made that decision for Jesus, would you just put your hand up now and I can just pray a blessing over you? Let's come, Holy Spirit. Bless you, Lord. Increase your blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. Bless these guys. Let's worship him.